It is 11.30. Good morning to you. Time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN. Scott Foster here with you as we take a look at uh, the next couple hours here on the Blowtorch. All kinds of stuff coming our way. Jason Jorgensen is here along with uh, Bob Brogan and Susan Littlefield as we get you ready to go. And we will start things off with Susan. We'll get there. It just takes a while sometimes. It's a little slow. This is uh, live radio at its best. Good morning, Scott. A sunny Thursday, and we definitely will take it with rain in the forecast. We're going to kick everything off here at 1219 with Clay Patton. As he talks with Quentin Daly, Quentin is president of the Dawson County Cattlemen, that about the pandemic and how it's impacting producers and how folks are trying to ride out the storm. Paula Guzman then will step in at 1245 as she talks about M. Cool and a push that is going on with a petition sign-up being spearheaded by RCAF USA. And then Bryce comes in at 117 as we learn about ag tech startup uh, using drones, typically used in crop fields, to sanitize large sports venues. More is coming up on the midday from the farm team. All right. Thank you very much, Susan. It is uh, still some decisions to be made uh, in sports as we get ready for Jason Jorgensen, but uh, some tough news coming in last night for the Nebraska. Yeah, a little bit. This is worth watching. You know, you know, last fall when volleyball player Capri Davis left school and mm-hmm. how she went on, you know, she just left the team and folks were like, what was up with that? Well, she is now part of a suit. There are seven, along with, and it was filed in Michigan yesterday, that alleges that the University of Nebraska and the NCAA did not do enough to protect those who had come forward with some allegations of a sexual, um, I guess, impropriety with a couple of football players who are no longer on the team. Oh. So anyway, there's a big lawsuit that was uh, released in yesterday, and we'll give you the very latest on that. Unfortunately, the University of Nebraska has been named in that. Also, we'll talk about the Shrine Bowl. We told you yesterday that they've decided on a date in July. They want to try to pull this thing off on the uh, 11th of July in Kearney. And coming up in sports, we will hear from the executive director of the Shrine Bowl about what this has been like trying mm-hmm. to reschedule this game and kind of their thoughts going forward. It sounds like, again, talking to Dave McDonald, their drop-dead date to make a decision would be the middle of June. Man, that's got to be hard for the coaches and stuff, trying to get the players and it's already hard when it's a when it's a set date, but uh, so much going on. You know, what Dave talked about that uh, you know usually this is a thing that's been a year in the works, and they've tried to reschedule everything in the last uh, three to four weeks. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right, very good. Let me looking forward to that. Let's turn it over to Bob Brogan. Stocks are down today, but still at twenty four k. They're down a little bit. The uh, U.S. government uh, coming out with some news that more than three point eight million. Laid-off workers applied for unemployment benefits last week, and uh, so I guess kind of the uh, carnage continues to build up. Um, we're reading about that and hearing about that. Roughly 30.3 million people have now filed for jobless aid in the six weeks since the coronavirus outbreak began. And uh, also U.S. consumer spending... Uh, dropped a record 7.5% in March, reflecting the growing impact of that pandemic as Americans complied with stay-at-home orders. So those stories coming up. 
All right, that's all coming up on Midday. The Nebraska Cattlemen continue their Black Swan events, taking place on Thursdays through May 7th at 7 o'clock in the evening central time. This week, April 30th, will focus on Packer Consolidation. Are they breaking the law? You can register for the event by going to NebraskaCattlemen.org, and you will find the link at the bottom of the page. We encourage you to participate in the webinar or just listen live right here, 7 o'clock until 8.30 on KRVS. Well, it's time for us to check in on our weather and see how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. Scott in here, along with Paul. It is a... uh, well, it's still not windless, but no. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, there's still going to be some wind, but uh, at least it's, the temperatures are going to be up a little bit. Exactly, and that will help to improve the soil temperatures because we have seen a slight decline in those soil temperatures, but nothing to really worry about. But the warmth is continuing to build, especially as you head towards the west. We're already into some upper 70s to around 80 in the southwest part of the Nebraska Panhandle, including 80 currently in the Kimball area. Uh, some upper 60s to low 70s for the most part over southwest Nebraska, northwest, Colorado, northwest Kansas, and northeast Colorado, and as warm as 75 in a few locations there in northeast Colorado. Most of us with temperatures right now still in the low to mid-60s. You know, wouldn't it be nice to tie this planting season up with a nice bow if we get some rain? Is there some chance of that? And, and you know, you think about it. Last year, there were some farmers that hadn't even turned a wheel at this point. Exactly. Yeah, we were way behind. But this year, things are really accelerating in the field. And it looks like that will continue for at least a couple more days here. That's all thanks to our big ridge of high pressure. It continues to build onto the plains for today and tomorrow. For a couple of days of much warmer than normal temperatures, tomorrow looks to be our warmer day of the two with highs tomorrow topping out 20 degrees warmer than normal in the upper 80s to low 90s, almost summer-like for tomorrow. Increasing south winds and low humidity down around 20% today, once again leading to conditions that are favorable for fire growth in central and western areas of Nebraska and Kansas. Now tonight we will see a weak disturbance that could trigger a shower or thunderstorm across northern, central, and eastern Nebraska, but it doesn't look like it will pack too much of a punch in the wave. Any uh, big rainfall totals, maybe just a light shower and trace amounts, if any. A period of active weather does, though, get underway for tomorrow night with the passing of a cold front and a series of disturbances that will be coming off the front range of the Rockies and then moving east across Nebraska. So if you want to get some of that field work all wrapped up, do it today and tomorrow because off and on rain and thunderstorm chances expected to last through the weekend starting tomorrow night on into Monday night, and that does include a likely chance on Saturday night. Now, confidence not high that any of those storms will be severe. A better handle, though, on the severe potential looks to be known over the weekend, but right now not expecting any kind of a severe threat. High pressure builds back across the area for Tuesday with the return of dry weather and some seasonal temperatures during the midweek. In our long-term forecast, Nebraska and Kansas temperatures predicted to be seasonal to slightly cooler than normal for Tuesday through May 13th. Now, rainfall will be near normal to below normal Tuesday through the 13th for Nebraska and Kansas, mainly below normal in Nebraska and near normal over Kansas. Soil temperatures at 7 this morning and 4 inches down, mostly in the mid to upper 40s from southwest, central, and eastern Nebraska into much of Kansas. The soil temperatures in the low 40s on the cool end of things along and west of a line from O'Neill to Ord in North Platte. The soil temperatures as warm as the low 50s over extreme 
southeast Nebraska into far eastern and southern Kansas. In our latest regional drought monitor, dryness continues to increase in coverage across the area. Nebraska dropped 7 percentage points to 88% drought-free. It's now abnormally dry from Sydney to the southwest corner of Nebraska, then east along the Kansas border to near Hebron. Kansas dropped 15 percentage points to 62% drought-free. Along and west of a line from Melville to Russell and La Crosse, basically northwest and north central Kansas, abnormally dry. Moderate to severe drought continues in southwest Kansas. Market impacting weather factors include favorably dry weather across the Midwest and beneficial rain headed for the Black Sea region. The Midwest will continue to see, continue to see a better chance of field work and planning progress in western areas where the weather is drier. The eastern Midwest will continue with the prospect of moderate to heavy rain the next seven days that hinders their field work and planning. The southern plains will have stressful, dry, windy, and very warm to hot weather through the early part of May. Weak conditions continue to decline from the dryness along with the freezes that occurred in the middle part of this month. Shower chances over the next seven days in the southern plains unlikely to ease any of the dryness impact. Black seaweed areas of Russia and Ukraine will have favorable moderate to locally heavy rain through the next 10 days. That rain very beneficial to the winter wheat and will also be closely watched. Okay. All right. Very good. Well, I hate to hate to hear those drought numbers get get higher. That's, yeah, that's uh, you know, just abnormally dry, and it's just rain, mainly right along the Nebraska-Kansas bordering to mesh in northwest and north-central Kansas, but uh, it definitely the dryness continues, and over the next 14 days, those chances for rain, not all that great, with the exception of just Saturday night. And, and, and it's just kind of unsettled, right? I mean, just some disturbances here and there. Exactly, some off and on Nothing chances organized. of rain and, uh, and far from any kind of a washout over the weekend. All right, very good. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. Where do you go to check in on your weather? Weather tab, krvn.com. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network. Now, our flagship station is based in Lexington, Nebraska, and Lexington is the county seat of Dawson County. And truly, when you look at the cattle industry, Dawson County is so very unique in that whole setup and situation because Dawson County contains the entire beef industry from the ranch gate to the consumer's plate and fork. So right now, I'm joined with Quentin Daly. He is the president of Dawson County Cattlemen. Quentin, as always, we appreciate the time today. Even though we did see President Trump invoke the Defense Production Act trying to keep these packing plants open, what is your thought as the possible impact to the industry as we see these packing plants with limited production due to COVID-19? That was great news that we had out of Washington with President Trump invoking that act. Help support our industry and what we're trying to do. I know it's a, it's a tough situation. You know, we want the safety for everybody. We want everybody to be safe, and we understand that that is part of our inline of our product, and we want those people safe. But at the same time, we need them to stay open because that is how we make our money. If we don't have an outlet anywhere, kind of like the hog, so what we're seeing in the hog industry right now. And so we do need those plants open, and we're seeing you know it affecting us tremendously as some of these smaller plants have closed. They've since come back online, but... Obviously, it's in our markets every day, and you guys are covering it very well and see how tremendous it is impacting our industry. And like I said, we just we need those to stay open because without them, we have nothing. 
you brought up hogs there, and that's some tragic news that's coming out this week for the chicken producers and the hog producers. They're having to face the grim reality of maybe having to depopulate barns if they can't get packer space available soon. The cattle side of that is a little bit different, but from the cattlemen's perspective or the cattlemen that are, are in this situation right now, is there certain rations they can do to hold them? Can they go to grass? What What are some of their, their options that maybe are available to them? Well, certainly, we hate to have to ever get to that point, Clay. That's just a disaster. Uh, you sure don't wish that upon anybody in any industry. But, yeah, there are some things uh, we can do with our rations. You know, you can take out some fat. You can take out some energy out of the rations and slow these fat cattle down a little bit. Now, I'm no nutritionist, but that's just kind of the, the big picture of it. But you can slow them fat animals down from getting to that end point. But ultimately, they're, they're still growing. They still got to finish out. You know, if you've got them lighter weight cattle, maybe you do got an option. You can string them out on some grass for a little bit to kind of stretch them out here over the summer. Some people obviously don't have the, that choice, but you can do a few things and uh, talk with your nutritionist and adjust those rations a little so that they maybe slow down. But ultimately, they are still growing and still do need a place to go with them. The big question that's rattling around in a lot of producers' minds, and if you want to talk about it, maybe it's even causing some controversy, what do you take away as some things that producers can learn about what's going on right now uh, through this whole pandemic time frame? Well, you know, one of the biggest things as a producer, now I'm just a cow-calf guy, but I've talked with a few of the, the larger guys that are a little more involved, whether they, they're running feeder operations or running uh, feedlots or whatnot. You know, the biggest thing we could take away in those situations is maybe looking in the future, if this were to ever happen again, maybe we need to look at protecting ourselves a little better. Uh, maybe we do need to get into the market. I know some of the guys that, you know, were involved and did have some cattle protected, yeah, they hurt. You know, they're not hurting near as bad as as if you had no protection. Now, those are some options to look at in the future. Other than that, you know, this is such an unprecedented time. Again, we're talking with Quentin Daly, president of the Dawson County Cattlemen. Unfortunately, we're a little short on time here, so we're going to take this conversation off air, but be watching for a podcast that will have the entire interview on it where we dive into more of these subjects around the pandemic and how it's impacting the cattle industry. You're listening to the World Radio Network. Thank you very much, Clay. It's now time for Midday Sports. Here's Jason. Hey, thanks, Tyler. Well, late last night, a story broke that unfortunately includes the University of Nebraska. In a federal lawsuit filed yesterday in Michigan, seven women, including four who attended Nebraska, have accused the NCAA of failing to protect them on their respective campuses from alleged sexual assaults by male student-athletes. Two of the four UNL students who are plaintiffs in the case are Capri Davis and Sheridan Thomas. Now, Davis, his former Husker volleyball player, took a leaf of absence from the program last year before moving to Texas. UNL spokeswoman said the university received a copy of the lawsuit yesterday and cannot comment on pending litigation. Now, the lawsuit states that Davis chose to transfer to Texas in part of UNL's lack of response to her complaint that two Nebraska football players groped her and a friend at a party. A new date has been set for the Nebraska Shrine Bowl game. The Shrine Bowl Executive Board, along with the City of Kearney and UNK, have agreed on a July 11th date as they try to aim to play the event. Executive Director Dave McDonald says trying to reschedule things has been a big task. It has been. Um, this is something that takes at least a full year of, of planning and uh, working behind the scenes that nobody usually ever sees or, or understands or needs to think about, and uh, we... Uh, had to do it within about a two-week time frame. So 
a lot of uh, a lot of long hours and, and long days. McDonald adds that the safety of the coaches, players, and personnel are the top priority for the organizers. The Shrine Bowl plans to make a final determination whether they'll play the game in mid-June. First ballot Hall of Famer Derek Jeter will have to wait an extra year to be inducted at Cooperstown. Hall of Fame has announced that it's canceled the July 26th induction ceremony because of the pandemic. Instead, the class will be inducted with any additional new choices at next year's event. Jeter's class includes outfielder Larry Walker and catcher Ted Simmons, along with former union head Marvin Miller. A record crowd of over 70,000 had been expected this summer at the small town in upstate New York. And former Nebraska All-American Jordan Larson is taking a leading role in an upstart professional volleyball league. Larson was one of the first three players to sign with Athletes Unlimited Volleyball. Athletes Unlimited is also trying to start up a pro softball league with more sports to follow. The volleyball league, which is officially sanctioned by USA Volleyball, hopes to begin play next February. That is a look at sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. I'm Jason Jorgensen. The 2020 Census is the topic of the next Rural Radio Forum. Join us Tuesday, May 19th from 3 to 4 Central, 2 to 3 Mountain on 880 KRVN. Guests include Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts, UNK Professor Dr. Peter Longo, a representative from the Center of Public Affairs and more. We'll learn about the importance of the census, the impacts on rural communities, notably on the agricultural sector, challenges faced by officials to ensure everyone is counted, and more. The 2020 Census on the next Rural Radio Forum. Nebraska state health officials say the state has seen a jump in COVID-19 deaths following technical difficulties with the state's coronavirus tracking portal in recent days. The Nebraska Department of Health and Human Services says the state saw 13 new deaths from the virus on Wednesday, bringing the state total to 68. Eight of the deaths were reported out of hard-hit Hall County. State officials say that while its latest number of coronavirus deaths is accurate, the reported number of confirmed cases continues to lag actual counts due to technical problems. U.S. Senator Ben Sasse says that President Trump is right to blame China and the World Health Organization with their respective responses to COVID-19. The Chinese Communist Party has consistently lied, and the World Health Organization has given those lies cover. People around the world are dying, and our economies are on lockdown. President Trump is right to look for ways to hold both China and the WHO accountable for their failure to stop this spread. Sass's comments come as President Trump announced plans by his administration to hold China and the WHO accountable. The Lexington Food Pantry continues to serve those in need in the community, even if they have tested positive for COVID-19. Martha Draskovic, the community service director, adds that donations are still needed, but local organizations have added to the pantry. We've had different partners here in town reach out to us and wanting to do their part and help our food pantry um, with stock, so that way we can go ahead and help more individuals in need. Draskovic continues that more donations are always welcome. The Lexington Food Pantry allows for a curbside pickup during this time. And for more details, you can call 324-4219. Tyson Foods says it's temporarily suspending operations at a beef plant that is the largest employer for the neighboring Sioux City, Iowa. That's after a surge of coronavirus cases in the area. 
Tyson says it would close the Dakota City plant Friday through Monday to perform a deep cleaning of the facility. State health officials have reported hundreds of new coronavirus cases in the county where the plant is located and the county where Sioux City is located. Kansas business leaders and lawmakers are anxiously awaiting details of Kansas Governor Laura Kelly's plan to reopen Kansas's battered economy despite the ongoing spread of the coronavirus. Kelly is set to announce her plans this evening in a procedural move. She'll start by declaring a new state of emergency through May 14th because the existing one expires Friday and by reissuing all of her old executive orders. But the big news will be how she plans to ease the stay-at-home order, which is scheduled to expire at midnight on Sunday. Kelly has said her plan will maintain limits for mass gatherings and allow individual counties to choose or adopt more restrictive guidelines. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Dave Schroeder. The coronavirus has been hitting agriculture piece by piece, with the latest hit being felt by the livestock market and meat packers. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. The virus has caused the meat supply chain to experience challenges in moving beef, poultry, and pork from restaurants, schools, and hotels to grocery stores as people eat at home. It has also caused many consumers to rethink where their beef comes from. Karina Jones, a fifth-generation cattle rancher in Broken Bow and a member of RCAF, says mandatory country of origin labeling, or MCOOL, would help the consumer. Most consumers believe when they pick up that sirloin or pot roast and see that USDA stamp on it, they get that warm, fuzzy feeling that it's a rancher like me or any of my neighbors here in Nebraska that possibly raised that beef. But the truth is, that piece of meat just passed through a USDA-inspected facility at some point during the processing period. So it was not necessarily born and raised in the United States. It just was at some point repackaged or processed. The United States does require country of origin labeling, cool, on chicken, seafood, produce, and some nuts with basic information on the country the food was produced in. Until late 2015, beef and pork were also covered by mandatory country of origin labeling rules. Melody Benjamin, vice president of member services with the Nebraska Cattlemen, says their policy is cool should be voluntary and not mandatory. Just don't want the government mandating it for a couple of reasons. One is those people that go the extra mile to buy superior genetics and do everything right, they should have the opportunity to capture any premiums that there might be for uh, a labeled product. And right now, those premiums are pretty small because it's pretty much a niche market. Uh, The research shows that uh, the consumers are not, that's not their driving factor when they buy beef. The price, taste, tenderness, safety, a whole bunch of other things come in there before uh, a country of origin label comes in. So we don't think that the, the consumers are willing to pay. Those that are willing to pay, producers should be able to capture that by doing it through a voluntary program. Jones says RCAF USA is helping with a petition launched on April 23rd for MCOOL. The group was looking to get 100,000 signatures in 30 days. That was quickly blown out of the water within the first three days, I think 72 hours, and, and we exceeded that. So we are pushing for a million signatures. 
Um, we're saying shoot for the moon, one million soon, and I think that we are going to get it. We're working with our RCAF team and other legislators, working on the routes to make this into law. And there's a couple different avenues that we can take, and so we're exploring those avenues. Jones says consumers are concerned and are paying more attention to labels as safety has become a factor. The USDA does inspect all beef and other meat products for safety. Benjamin adds there are plenty of cattle in the U.S., so the beef in the grocery stores is predominantly from the U.S., but packers are now being affected. There are slowdowns at the processing. There's plenty of cattle. In fact, we've got more than enough cattle, and it's just getting a process that's the bottleneck right now. So people don't need to be concerned about the safety of their beef because everything's still being inspected. And for a few weeks that there might be some shortages, but it's just simply we've got to work through figuring out how to process these cattle and keep the workers safe and healthy. But it's essential for those workers to show up so that we can keep uh, not only beef, but all animal proteins moving through the system. Consumers are not the only ones concerned about beef and meat packing. The cattle producer has been seeing their return on animals drop compared to the cost of beef in the grocery store. In mid-May, Secretary Sonny Perdue announced the U.S. Department of Agriculture would extend its oversight to determine the causes of divergence between boxed and live beef prices. Benjamin says the virus is exasperating the situation. Packers don't need the cattle. They can't get them all killed. So prices are dropping daily, yet the supply and demand on the beef side of things keeps going up for the demand. And how is that handled? Well, if you want if you want this beef, then you have to pay more for it. And so the price to consumers is going up more and more on the other end. It's a really terrible uh, exacerbation of the imbalance that there is in the industry. Benjamin says the imbalance to the system has been something they have been working on since 2015 when a monetary gap was created between packers and cattle producers during the drought. As an industry on the cattle side, we repopulated rather quickly, in fact, in record time, got plenty of cattle, and those packing houses did not come back online. So it created an imbalance in the system where the packers have all the leverage. We've got a lot of cattle, and they don't have to take them all. We've been working on trying to find long-term solutions to that, uh, whether it's regional packers, uh, we believe that more cash trade would be beneficial. Uh, too much of the cattle are sold uh, from the feed yards into the packing houses without a negotiated price that's transparent. Well, the government looks into the gap between boxed and live beef prices. It also has its hands full trying to keep meat packer facilities open. On April 26th, President Trump signed an executive order under the Defense Production Act to classify meat processing as critical infrastructure during the coronavirus outbreak. The goal is to try to prevent a shortage of meat on supermarket shelves. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. Rely on KRVN for up-to-date information on COVID-19. From closings, the latest governor's press conference, and DHHS virus reports, we'll bring you the facts and latest news on the coronavirus. Visit our Coronavirus Information tab at krvn.com for up-to-the-minute local and state news, and tune in every weeknight at 5 p.m. for a special KRVN this evening. Depend on KRVN to keep you informed on COVID-19. With the Business Report, I'm Bob Brogan. Stock indexes were down in trading on Wall Street. 
The U.S. government reported more than 3.8 million laid-off workers applied for unemployment benefits last week, and that consumer spending plunged 7.5% in March. Meanwhile, new data came out showing that the European economy contracted by a record 3.8% in the first three months of the year. More than 3.8 million laid-off workers applied for unemployment benefits last week as the U.S. economy slid further into a crisis that is becoming the most devastating since the 1930s. Roughly 30.3 million people have now filed for jobless aid in the six weeks since the coronavirus outbreak began, forcing millions of employers to close their doors and slash their workforces. U.S. consumer spending plunged a record 7.5% as mentioned in March, reflecting the growing impact of the coronavirus pandemic. As Americans complied with stay-at-home orders, the Commerce Department saying that the spending plunge was accompanied by a sharp 2% drop in personal income, with both declines attributed to impacts of efforts to deal with the pandemic. The Federal Reserve is expanding a major lending program to provide support for businesses struggling to cope with the economic slowdown caused by the virus. The Fed announcing today it is expanding the terms of its Main Street lending program, which is designed to provide up to $600 billion in loans to small and mid-sized businesses that have been harmed by the pandemic and the efforts to contain it. The top infectious disease expert in the U.S. says he expects quick approval of a new experimental drug that showed promising signs in treating patients with COVID-19. Anthony Fauci said on NBC's Today Show that he anticipates the go-ahead from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration for the emergency use of remdesivir to happen reasonably soon. The drug was shown in a major study to shorten recovery time of hospitalized patients. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan. AgTech Startup uses drones to sanitize large venues. Good afternoon to you on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Bryce Duskett reporting. A few months ago, we met the company Rentizo at a farm show. They specialize in equipping drones to spray agricultural fields. Typically, their focus would be on the farm right now, but of course, the landscape has changed quite a bit. Rentizo CEO Michael Ott. We realized when a Major League Baseball team reached out to us saying, hey, can you spray our stadium? And immediately thought, well, yes, we could do that. And then it was like, well, actually, how, how do we do it? Like, I know physically I can get out there and get it done, but then what are we going to spray? What are the regulatory permissions? What do you charge? All this other stuff. So we figured that out and then talked to a few other people. And there's a lot of demand for sanitization services in hard-to-reach places where drones can do a pretty good job of, of applying uh, safe chemicals that can sanitize things. Tell us about some of the technology challenges you find from, uh, of course, uh, most fields kind of out in the open. You might have to worry about power lines and trees, but in a major league stadium like baseball, there's uh, I'm sure a lot of cables and things strung out. Is, is there a, a pretty significant challenge of getting the drones set up to be able to fly in those situations? Yeah, it's a very similar setup. So when we map out a field, we set waypoints, and the drone really flies itself. And it's got collision avoidance and terrain following. So we use those exact same features when we are uh, spraying in a stadium or over a public park or inside someone's warehouse. So we map out where we want it to go, set the height that we want it to be, and the drone really does fly itself. And we've got collision avoidance in there, so when you've got a wire for you know a, a cable 
or the netting behind the, the behind home plate or anything like that. Generally, the drone will see it. So we've got the pilot observing it, but the drone really takes care of uh, quite a bit of that. And we get really nice, even coverage because we're going back, you know, it's autonomous. So it's going exactly at the settings you uh, input for it. Have you been able to do this then uh, in a field so far? <laughs> yeah, we did some testing with the Iowa Cubs. So they're the, the AAA affiliate of the Chicago Cubs in their Des Moines stadium. And uh, we did that oh, about 10 days ago, and they were very happy with how, how it all works. So we showed them how we can spray uh, the seats and then also spray, we, actually, we could spray the field for them as well, and that was like really precise and accurate and quick. So they take excellent care of, of the whole facility, especially the field. And it was, it was pretty fun to be able to get in there. It happened to be a beautiful day just like it is today. So we got some nice video that we're sharing on the Rantizo website. I'm sure as uh, more people hear about this opportunity to sanitize a large space like a, a stadium, uh, they might be interested in getting this service for their community. What's the best way to reach out to you guys and get in touch about uh, the possibility of having uh, you guys come to their community? Yeah, the best way is to go through our website. It's rantizo.com, R-A-N-T-I-Z-O.com. We're also very active on Twitter. It's at Rantizo Sprays, and that works uh, works really well to, to get a hold of us. Rantizo CEO Michael Ott joining us over the phone today to talk about their ag tech startup using their drones now to help sanitize large venues. The website to learn more, again, rantizo.com. From the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, I'm Bryce Duskett reporting on the Rural Radio Network. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter this week in Grain. And we discussed the closing grain markets here, John. And for what the month of April was, for the last trading day of it, it's good to see this close. Yeah, I think we bottomed here for the season, um, at least in the summer row crops. I, I don't know about wheat. You know, there's a lot of length still in that market. But I think right now, you know, the market can take a little bit of a, a, a deep breath here. Um, delivery probably will still be a little bit rocky, so I don't know if we'll go straight up, you know, would not be shocked to see pullbacks, you know. Not saying we're going to test three bucks in the July again, but, you know, the the market is very, you know, prone to startups and setbacks. But, you know, with the weather problems that are bound to pop up, I mean, I think at this point, it's not so much of where it is, it's like when is it going to happen, how are you going to be prepared for it. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen, but, you know, 19 years out of 20, you're going to get a you're going to get a weather pop up somewhere in the in the 48 states. So uh, you're ready for that. The funds are really short, and you know once we start to move again and the markets see people out and consuming and you know sports being back, I mean these are all things that are going to happen over the next month. I think that uh, you know the amount of liquidity that's been put into it here, it, it, prices are going to float higher. So um, short term, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic at these prices. I think the real tough decisions for folks are going to be like, what do you do? You know, if it's if you get it in the ground, at the you know these are for folks who need to sell it off the combine. You get it in the ground, things look good, and then we're trading three fifty, three sixty, three seventy. You know, in that area, like that's that's the tough challenge because like doing a Ford contract three seventy, like that hasn't really paid off the last last couple of years. But um, you know, if we don't have an ethanol bid when we come with all the supply to you know reallocate where where it should go, it's going to be cheap, I imagine. 
And you talk about the the funds being short in this market right now. Does that potentially give us the ability to go into May with some short covering and some momentum to get a nearby rally to maybe give us a little bit better point to sell? Oh, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of potential for the move, and I think you know it's at this point it's more of what we don't know than what we do know, and I think you have to continue to tell yourself that you know everything that we know is the reason why prices are low. What we don't know is you know how it'll finish up and where. Uh, you know what the world's going to look like in three months. If you can tell me whether or not we're playing football in the fall, then you should be able to tell me uh, whether or not it's going to rain. So uh, if you can tell the future, you'll do well. Uh, if not, you got to handle the risks when they're there. And in my opinion, it's just way too cheap to be forward contracting anything, given the amount of, uh, of time we have. Yeah, we're talking with John Payton, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter this week in Grain. You can learn more at their website, danielzagmarketing.com. Do remember, though, trading futures and options involve risk of loss and may not be suitable for all investors. And that'll do it for today's midday program here on KRVN. To hear today's midday podcast it's in its entirety, go to podcast.krvn.com or subscribe on Spotify or iTunes. Again, our midday podcast is sponsored by Deveni Motor. Howdy, folks. This is Rick from Deveni Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and McCook. When you're ready to buy a new vehicle, expect that our hardworking, experienced staff will treat you just like family. Go to Divini Chrysler Jeep Dodge.com today. And remember, it's not a deal until it's a Divini deal.